In 2018, um, just let you see a little bit behind the curtain, we are going to uh, spend a good part of the year going through the book of Acts. So your Bible should crease and open to it quickly by the end of the year. Um, We are going to spend some time in this book. This book is actually a history, a record of the church written by a man named Luke. Luke was a physician in the first century, a doctor. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And as he went about on his journeys... uh, Luke was writing things down, and he really recorded for us a history of everything that happened, really from the time Jesus ascended back to heaven uh, until the beginning of the church and what happened to the disciples after that. If you ever kind of wanted to know the rest of the story, the book of Acts is where you turn. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, the first four books of your New Testament, tell you the story of Jesus from four different perspectives, and then the book of Acts tells you the story of what happened after that, what happened in the church. The name of the book is is actually technically called the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this is the book where you see uh, the work of the Holy Spirit as he infiltrates uh, the disciples and the early followers of Jesus and begins to uh, do an amazing work in and through them. And the book actually opens as Jesus is just about to leave. And Jesus gives uh, the disciples a commandment. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And uh, this is the verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is leaving, but he is leaving his disciples. He's leaving his followers with a huge mission. And actually that verse really outlines the entire book of Acts. So Acts chapter 1 through chapter 8 is what happened in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then Acts chapters 9 through 12 are what happened really in Judea and Samaria, the larger outlying region. And then from Acts 13 on, it's the ends of the earth. So you can divide the book into three sections, and that's roughly what we're going to do. We're going to do three different sermon series from the book of Acts, uh, roughly aligned with each of those areas. Now this first one that we're, that we're beginning today is called The Disciples' Journey. The Disciples' Journey. And if you were with us last week, we sort of set the stage for this with a conversation about what is, what does it mean to be a disciple? What is discipleship? This is what Jesus told his disciples to do. He said, go and make disciples. That's what you're supposed to do. So what is a disciple? We last week looked at this definition of discipleship. A disciple is a person in the process. That's important. You don't get there overnight. It's a gradual process, day by day by day by day. If you want to hear more about that, you can go back to our podcast, visit live stream from last week, and you can hear about that process. But it's a process of learning the teachings of Jesus in the Scripture and following his example in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a process of learning the teachings of Jesus in the Scripture, but not just learning, because there is no category in the Bible for somebody to believe in Jesus without following him. You can know things about him, but you will know things about him in the way you know things about George Washington. Just because you know something about someone historically does not mean that you are following them. There's no category in the New Testament for someone who believes in Jesus apart from following Jesus. And so we want to spend some time looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to enter into this process of learning how to follow Jesus. And our goal is simple. This time next year, 
if the Lord gives you life and has you here, will you look more like Jesus? Will you be closer to God in one year than you are today? That will not happen by accident. You will not slide into discipleship. It will require you to grow in your faith and be intentional for how you grow in your faith. Now, why this, these first few chapters of the book of Acts is so perfect for what we want to look at is because, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but did you, did you think the disciples were called by Jesus to say, come, follow me. And so they spent about three years following Jesus. And they follow him all the way to the cross, and they think, oh, we, you know, we've wasted all this time. He's been killed by the Romans. They run and they hide. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. They're overwhelmed. They suddenly realize everything he said was true. They follow him for 40 days. The resurrected Jesus walked around and he, he preached and he taught. And then he gives them this directive. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. Go make disciples of all nations. And then he goes back to heaven. And the disciples at this point are thinking, how do we follow somebody who's not here? Right? I mean, th- I mean, that's a practical question, right? How do we follow somebody? I mean, literally, for three years, they followed him. He went to Galilee, they went to Galilee. He went to Jerusalem, they went to Jerusalem. He went to Judea, they went to Judea. They just did whatever he did. Wouldn't that be nice? Some of you have wished for that, right? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great if we could just do that? The disciples were suddenly faced with the reality they had to follow somebody they could no longer physically see. And that's where we are today, 2,000 years later. We are still in the same position where we are asked to follow Jesus, but I don't know about you, I just don't see him very often. Right? I mean, I mean I've heard people talk about that, and I'm, you know, after I take a step back, I kind of scratch my head and think, okay, I, I just don't have that kind of experience where I see a, vi- a visible picture of Jesus that I follow, so how do you do it? Here is why this series, this opening series from the book of Acts is so important, because I think in these first five chapters in particularly, but really the entire book, we see a picture of how the disciples learned to follow Jesus even when he was physically absent, as they learned how to relate to the Holy Spirit. And I think what they learned, we can also learn as we seek to follow Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 1. Hopefully you've already found it by now. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and we'll also put it on the screens. I think in these first five chapters, uh, we see five basic habits of the disciples, of what the earthly disciples did as they were following, following after Jesus. And so we're going to look at these over the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to look at how the disciples grew in community with each other. Then we're going to look about how the disciples prayed. Prayer was a major part of what they did. If you want to grow in your faith, prayer has to be an important part of that. How the disciples lived generously. Uh, how the disciples made other disciples. That's part of discipleship. But today, I want to start with the first habit. And it's one that I don't know about you, but I don't do very well. And the first habit is that disciples wait on God. Ooh, I even heard it. Some of you have heard the, 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 the old phrase, don't pray for patience. Because the minute you pray for patience, God's going to give you a circumstance that's going to require what? Patience, Exactly. Waiting on God is foundational to being a disciple of Jesus. Learning how and what it means to wait on God is critical. I I know in my life, I I remember one time not too long ago, just a few years ago, Sherry and I were uh, given ballroom dancing lessons by by a member of the church, and we went to uh, take ballroom dancing. Um, And and it was fun for her. Um, 
Uh, we had a good time. It was, it was interesting, but I, I found, I, I'm not a very coordinated guy. I don't, you know, I don't do sports real well. I've got terrible coordination. So we're, uh, we're going to these dance lessons, and the problem was um, I was either behind or ahead. And either if I was behind, she was dragging me. If I was ahead, I was stepping on her, right? I don't know about you. Sometimes that's how it feels like my relationship with God. Sometimes I'm behind, and I feel like God's kind of dragging me. Sometimes I feel like I'm rushing ahead and running into all kinds of problems, making mistakes. But learning how to wait on God, timing is a critical part of being a disciple. And so I want to look today at this idea of what it means to wait on God. And I want to look at two extremes to be avoided and a tension to embrace. Two extremes that we're going to avoid and one tension that we're going to embrace. The, the first extreme that we're going to avoid is passivity. Now, passivity basically means somebody who just doesn't ever take the initiative. You know anybody like this? Don't poke the person next to you. Right? I mean, there's clearly something that needs to be done and they're not doing it. They, there's clearly an action that needs to be taken and they're not taking it. And you think to yourself, what are you waiting on? They're being passive. Sometimes they may even be passive-aggressive. They're using their passivity in order to make a point, or they're using their passivity in order to get something from you. But the first extreme that we have to avoid is passivity. Look with me at this chapter, and and let's see how the disciples messed up on the side of passivity first. Look at verse 6. They're with Jesus. He's about to leave, and this is what they say. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you when? At this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now, this is what they've been waiting on for three years. They're waiting on Jesus to finally get his act together, put together an army, and kick the Romans out. They've been waiting on this all along. This is what they thought he came to do. And so here at the end, I mean, he's been crucified and been raised from the dead. Surely now's the time, Jesus. Come on, now's the time. Let's get our army together and go kick the Romans out because that's what you came to do. Is now the time that you're going to do that? And Jesus gave them this answer. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He basically tells them they will do this, but it will happen after the Holy Spirit comes. In essence, what he is saying is, you have to wait. You have to wait on the Holy Spirit. You're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus leaves right after he says this, and the disciples did literally what he said. They stood there in that spot, looking up at heaven with their mouths hanging open. Because that's what you would have done too, right? I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing that they just witnessed. But they must have been standing there for a very, very long time. Because they did not understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not going to fulfill the kingdom the way they expected him to. But they stood there looking up into heaven, waiting for the fact that Jesus, who just went up, must be coming right back down and we're still going to kick the Romans out. But look what happens. And in verse 10. They were looking intently into the sky, and as, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Basically, the angel says, guys, what are you doing standing around? Didn't you hear what Jesus just told you to do? He just said, he's got a mission for you. He's just given you a task. 
Why are you still standing here? Passivity was something Jesus talked about even in his parables. If you have time to read uh, later this week, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus in that chapter tells two parables where he is talking about the, the consequences of being passive. The first one is a parable about some bridesmaids. And these bridesmaids are supposed to be getting ready for a wedding. Uh, half of the bridesmaids come and they're prepared. They've got enough oil in their lamps to last all night. They're waiting on the bridegroom to show up. The other half didn't have enough oil in their lamps and they're really not doing anything while they're waiting on the groom. They're just kind of wasting time. Well, night comes, there's no oil in the lamps. Uh, the bridegroom shows up. Uh, the ones with oil in the lamps get to come into the wedding party and those who don't get left behind because they were being passive. They were just, during the waiting, they were sitting around and doing absolutely nothing. And then Jesus tells a second parable. And in this parable, it's a familiar one. Even if you don't come to church much, you're probably familiar with it. It's a parable where uh, there was a master who gave three of his servants uh, different amounts of money to steward while he was away. The parable of the talents. And so as these, uh, the ma- as these people have this, this money that they're stewarding, you know, the master leaves and the first guy goes and invests the money and makes some money. The second guy does the same. But the third guy takes and buries the talent in the ground, buries the money in the ground because he doesn't want to risk it. He's being passive. The master comes back, takes the money from the third guy who didn't do anything with it and gives it to the first guy who made great investments. And basically Jesus is saying, while you were waiting, there was some, something you were supposed to be doing. God did not call you to wait passively. He called you to wait actively. Waiting on God does not mean inactivity. In fact, I would say that it's even a misnomer to say that we're waiting on God because we are never waiting on God. God is outside of time. He is not confined by time and space. God's purpose in waiting, God's purpose in delaying always has something to do with us. It always has something to do with you or with me. So my question for you is, if you're in a season right now where you feel like you're waiting, the question is, what are you doing while you're waiting? What are you doing while you're waiting for God to provide you a spouse? What are you doing while you're between jobs, waiting on the next opportunity to come? What are you doing while you're waiting for the cancer treatments to come to an end? What are you doing while you're waiting on your children to get older, while you're waiting to have children? What, what are you doing? See, from almost all of the major events in our life, there's this idea that we have that we are waiting on God. Well, when God provides me a spouse, when God provides me a job, when God, you know, when God gives me children, when God gets our kids out of the house, we wait and wait and wait for God to do these things. But the, that's the wrong question to ask. That's the wrong way to look at it. The right thing to say is, what are you doing during the waiting? Are you being passive? Because what if the time of waiting isn't about the thing you're waiting on? But what if it is a time in which God wants to do a deep work inside your life that he can only do while you're waiting? The disciples were standing around looking up in the sky. They were being passive. But the other extreme that we have to avoid, avoid passivity, but we also have to avoid impatience. Look what they did next. Uh, Verse 4. This is what Jesus had said to the disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, so what he's saying, he's saying go to this space, go to this upper room. It was a place they knew well. It's a place where they had been together before. Jesus says go to that place 
and wait on the Holy Spirit. So what do they do? They stand around first, being passive. The angels come and say, hey guys, why are you standing around? Jesus clearly told you something you need to do. Go and do it. So they go to the upper room, and now Peter feels compelled to do something. Because this is the other extreme. We get tired of waiting on God, so we're going to take action on our own. We're going to make something happen ourselves. So they get into the upper room, and this is what happens. Look down with me at verse 21 of Acts chapter 1. This is Peter talking. The Holy Spirit has not come yet. That's really important. Therefore, it is necessary, this is Peter, to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from heaven. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what's going on here? Peter's basically saying, okay, guys, um, you know, we, we, we sort of blew it out there. We were stunned with Jesus leaving. We stood around. But we're here in the upper room now. You know, we, we don't want to be accused of not doing anything, so we need to take some action. Uh, why don't we figure out who's going to replace Judas? Because that seems like a really good thing to do right now. Let's just, while we're waiting, let's just figure out who is going to take Judas' place. And all the disciples are like, oh, okay, let's do it. So what happened? So they nominated two men, Joseph Cardbar Sabbath, also known as Justice, and, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, I don't know if any of you have been in church a long time or Bible scholars in the room. Do you know when you hear about Matthias again? Never. You never hear about Matthias again. The scripture, here's, this is what's so important. The scripture never says that God told them to go in the upper room and elect Judas's replacement. Jesus, in fact, told them to go to the upper room and wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Matthias is never mentioned again, but you know what happens in Acts chapter 9? In Acts chapter 9, God himself chooses a Pharisee who's going around persecuting the church, strikes him blind on his way to Damascus where he's going to persecute the church and says, hey, you, Pharisee, known as Saul, you are going to be one of my disciples. You're going to be a church planter. God had someone in mind. But the disciples, because of impatience, decided that they would take action on their own, undirected, And it wasn't fatal. It wasn't a fatal mistake. God's will is still done. But they persisted in doing something that God didn't call them to do. And the person who initiated it, Peter, had a history of doing this. If you look back in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is walking on water. And uh, Peter sees Jesus walking on water. And Peter says, hey, Lord, if that's you, call me and I'll come out to you. I'm going to walk out to you if you just call me. And so Jesus calls Peter, and Peter walks out there, and he's walking on the water for a few steps. And and then what happens? He gets distracted by the wind and the waves. And the minute he gets distracted, he begins to sink. Mark chapter 9. Jesus calls uh, Peter and James and John up onto this mountain and says, Guys, hey, come with me. I, I, I got something I need you to see. They go up on this mountain, and something miraculous happens. It's, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' appearance is transformed. They get to see a glimpse behind the curtain of Jesus' glory. Moses and Elijah show up. I mean, this is incredible. What does Peter do in that moment? Peter says, hey, Jesus, man, you are so lucky we came with you. Because we we're going to build a temple right here. 
That's what we're going to do for you. We're going to build a temple because this is pretty incredible. And Jesus basically says, Peter, shut up. What are you doing? Why do you feel like you have to do something like that? Just, just be here and see what God's doing. Recognize this is bigger than you. John chapter 8, Jesus is being arrested. And, and it's Peter who draws a sword and cuts off the, the ear of the, high, the servant to the high priest. And Jesus says, Peter, put the sword away. Picks up the ear and sticks it back on the guy. See, here, here's, here's what happens. Impatience can lead us to distraction. Passivity, inactivity is not what we're called to do. But impatience will lead us to distraction. Instead of waiting on God and seeking him in prayer, we invent things to do. We create activity. We come up with things. We try ultimately to take control of the situation. Now, I know nobody in this room has that issue, but there are people who have that issue. And so you just feel like, well, God, I just need to help you out a little bit here. God, I need to help fill in some of the blanks. And so I'm going to take this action. But it's not action that God's called you to take. It's action you're taking because you're being impatient or because you're being distracted. It, it, sometimes we get so tired of waiting on God, we get so distracted by all the things in the world that we begin to just busy ourselves with other things. God wants me to wait over here. And I get tired of waiting over here because there's something shiny over here that I can come and do. You know, there's, some, there's something new on Netflix I need to binge, right? I mean, I mean, in our waiting, we get so uncomfortable in waiting that we become impatient and impatience leads us to distraction. But here's the thing you need to understand. God is wanting to do a work inside of you in the waiting. It is in the waiting that God's going to do his work. And if you are being passive and not paying attention to what God's saying, or you're being distracted because of impatience, you are missing what God wants to do. And you cannot follow Jesus if you aren't paying attention to where he is and where he's calling you. Waiting on God is critical. And so the tension that we need to embrace is active patience. Active patience. See, when the day of Pentecost finally arrived, and it wasn't long after this, you can read on into Acts chapter 2. And by the way, on the back of your bulletin, we, we gave you a reading plan. So if you are someone who's looking for a way to engage with God's word more intentionally this year, that reading plan will come straight from what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, and you can use it through the week to just stay connected in God's word. And this week you'll read from Acts chapter 2. But basically what we discover is, is that when the day of Pentecost came, that Pentecost basically is when the Holy Spirit showed up. They were all together in the upper room, and suddenly, the scripture says, I love that, suddenly. You know, 40 days never feels like suddenly, does it? Listen, if you've been waiting... A long time, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been waiting a long time for a job, but when you get the call, it's sudden, isn't it? Some of you have been waiting a long time for a breakthrough in your marriage, but when the breakthrough comes, when the moment comes, you weren't expecting it, unforeseen circumstance comes, and it's sudden. That's how God moves. We feel like we've been waiting and only discover that God's been working all along. We just couldn't see what he was doing. They're in the upper room. Suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And suddenly everybody, all of the disciples, were able to preach the message of the gospel, tell the story of Jesus in languages they didn't even know. See, the, the Feast of Pentecost is a Jewish festival that brought people from all over that part of the world, speaking all kinds of different languages, and they were there. And suddenly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
every disciple in that room was speaking a language they didn't know in order to proclaim to the nations the message of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus had told them to do, right? I mean, before they stood around waiting, before they got up there and voted on Mattathias, Jesus said, go to the upper room, wait on the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you will be my witnesses. And when suddenly the Holy Spirit came, it was just like Jesus said. And in that one room, they were literally preaching to people all around the world because all of those people were going to leave Jerusalem after the feast was over. They were going to go back to their home country, and in their own language, they knew the story of Jesus that they were going to proclaim to people in their own country. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, But they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They who wait upon the Lord. Do you know that word in Hebrew, wait, can also be translated as hope? Because it's not waiting as inactivity, it's hoping, longing for. What are you hoping for right now? What is it in your life right now, if you were to look deep within, what is it that you hope for? Because my guess is that may be the very place where God wants to begin to do a deep work inside of you, where he was calling you and drawing you to himself. What is it that you're waiting for? What is it that you are hoping for? And for those of you who've been following Jesus a long time and you think, yeah, but when does the waiting end? I've been following Jesus 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. I've been following Jesus my whole life and it feels like all I ever do is wait on him. Jesus told his disciples shortly before the crucifixion, he said, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I wonder how many of us have slipped into passivity while we're waiting on God. And we're really not doing anything. I think there may be more of us who, who have slipped into impatience and we've just come, become distracted with the world. But Jesus' call to us is to watch and pray. Watch and pray, and it is in the watching, it's in the prayer, it's in the waiting that God is about to move. On the back of your bulletin, um, on the notes section, there's a, there's a continuum line there. I, I want you to, to take a look at that. Take that out for just a minute. There should be a pen around you. I want you to take just a minute and figure out where are you on this spectrum? Where are you? Um, do you? Do you lean towards passivity? Or do you lean towards impatience? Are are there things in your life right now, areas of your life where you know God's calling you, things he's calling you to do, things he's calling you to work on, and you know you're just not doing it? You're being passive? Or are you inventing things to do because you're tired of waiting on God to show up? And and the truth is, all of us are somewhere between there, right? And as I thought about this this, this week, I thought, well, it depends on what area of my life you're talking about. I'm one way in one area and another way in another area. That's just how messed up I am. Maybe your life's all together and you're just in the same place everywhere. But, but here's the point of this exercise. Identify where you are on the continuum and then ask yourself this question. What concrete steps will you take to move towards actively waiting on God? Maybe some of you need to take some time and take a break from media. All media. I heard some groans, which is clear indication that it's you. 
<laughs> maybe some of you, maybe some of you need to say, I need to get serious about, about setting aside time every day to just wait on the Lord. And for some of you, maybe, maybe some of you don't even have an active relationship with God. And maybe for you, it would be 15 minutes of, Lord, if you're real, show me and wait for 15 minutes. And just allow him to begin to speak to you. But the reality is, you've got so much noise in your life, you'd never hear it if he did. Unplug and take the time and listen. Actively wait on the Lord. We've got a, a little field guide that we put together, we gave out last week, called The Journey to Discipleship. This is a, a little field guide that will actually ask some questions and it offers you a roadmap of some things that you can do. Um, to grow in your faith, and while you're waiting on God, these are things that I think will help you to grow in your faith and understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We've challenged everybody uh, in the church to take the 365 challenge. Um, there's a, information in that field guide about it. There's a, a booth set up right outside these doors by the glass walls across from the elevator, and you can, you can go there and, and get some information about that, uh, that field guide, pick one up. Also, these 365 challenge cards are in the pew in front of you if you want more information about it. We're basically saying, hey, if you want to grow as a disciple this year, you're going to have to take steps to do it. It's not going to happen by accident. We're going to have a commitment Sunday on February 11th, and we're just challenging you. Pray about that 365 commitment. And, and pray with us and join us on this 365 challenge. And then here's another thing. I think, at least in my life, I know this is true, and I think it's true for most of you, that, that if I am truly going to wait on the Lord, I have to be held accountable by other people. I have to be in community with other people who are looking at my life and say, hey, Gary, I, I think you're rushing ahead. Gary, I, I think you need to wake up and pay attention to what's going on around you. Will you ask somebody to hold you accountable to take these steps this year? Get involved in a small group. Become involved in something that will help you take these steps because this season of your life in which you are waiting, God is not being passive. God wants to do something in your life right now. Don't miss the opportunity to see what he wants to do. I want to introduce uh, two of my friends, Fahim and Chandra Gurgis, are going to come up. I, I want to Thank you, guys. Um, this is Fahim and Chandra. Some of you may know them. They lead our uh, Parents with Children small group. They're leaders in there. And uh, we have done something like this a few years ago. I think it was 2015. We had uh, the Awakening Conference, and we kind of coupled that with a spiritual discipleship, kind of a spiritual awakening plan. And um, sometimes we do that, and we don't really know if anybody ever participates, if they you know, if they join us in this, because it's kind of a, something you have to do on your own. But you guys actually actually did it. Uh, and so I wanted you to just tell the congregation a little bit about your experience the last time we issued a challenge like this and what God was able to do in your life through it. Um, I'll just start by saying uh, when the Awakening Challenge was announced by Pastor Weber, it was something that Chandra and I almost simultaneously both decided that we wanted to go ahead and take the challenge. And we had felt God sort of pushing us um, in a direction to make some changes in our life. Um, we joined this church in about 2011, and we were baptized at the beach baptism in 2012, and so God was kind of gradually doing work in our life um, over that time. But then when this awakening challenge was 
announced, we decided together that we wanted to kind of try to do it, which was really dedicating yourself to an hour a day of reading the Bible and praying um, and also giving something else up, and then there were some memory verses to do. So um, we realized that an hour a day with little kids and, like, busy schedules felt, like, impossible. We were like, how are we going to be able to do this? But we decided we would go ahead and try. And um, on September 1st, 2015, that was the night before it started, the 40 days started, and uh, Chandra texted me, she's like, we were supposed to have a date night, and we had a babysitter all reserved, and she said, why don't we go to the prayer, prayer night on a Tuesday night, which is like sort of the kickoff for the awakening thing. So, so we did. That's a hot um, date. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I know it was, it was kind of, you know, unusual. I mean, usually we just go out for dinner or whatever, but she said, let's do this prayer night thing. So we did. And... Um, we came, and we were praying, and, um, you know, during that time, I really felt God, and it's just, it's just funny to me how these things all make full circle. Um, he told me during that prayer time to be patient, mm-hmm. and it's just so, so funny that, uh, that we're talking about active patience, but at that time, I had been waiting for things, and the two of us together had had some struggles, um, both in our marriage and in our family life and things that we had been working on, and we had been asking for God to do something for us. So we dedicated um, ourselves for an hour a day to do this. We took the challenge, and by the end of it, we were changed completely. Wow. And, and, and the, you know, and I, it sounds, not to sound like cliched, but, you know, it, it was one of those things where one of the most noticeable differences was in our home. There was a lot less stress. There was a lot less tension. There was just kind of this feeling of ease between the two of us and also between us and our kids. Um, that was one of the most noticeable differences. And then the other thing was that we didn't want to stop doing what we had already started doing because we wanted to keep that going. That's the bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. We- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's how it worked for us. So, so we continue to read the Bible. And Chandra, being an overachiever. Yeah, Chandra. <laughs> she, she, I, she read the Bible in like four months. Yeah. It was the craziest thing. So, Chandra, so. You're, um, I mean, you all came to church 2011. Um, I mean, would you say for you this was a pivotal moment in your walk with Christ? Was this something? Oh, that... certainly. I mean, it was literally like, um, I guess for Fahim to witness just like how I acted differently in the home probably was that um, that switch or the transformation. But like for me, like internally, it was just like so much more than just what I was able to display outwards. So like, I guess like, you know, he left a lot of like details out because like, we don't really know each other, what we pray for. And honestly, like to the call of prayer when it was there, like, I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't know what, why I'm there, why I'm sitting here and doing this, but I thought, you know, let's give it a shot. And um, so, like, I don't know what he prayed for, but I just prayed for whatever was the meditative stuff that was being on the screen. We just prayed for whatever was, was on the screen. So uh, that was that. But anyways, like, um, so I'm like, okay, so I'm going to squeeze this thing, and I'm going to commit. You know, I don't know how I'm going to commit, but I'm going to just commit because I'm, I decided to. And so... It was a lot of stuff that, that went on. I had, like, anxiety issues and depression, like, like self-image issues and insecurities and all sorts of stuff. Like, and as a woman, just, like, and becoming a mother, like, you lose an identity to a certain extent. And so, like, it was a lot of stuff. Um, anyways, <laughs> putting that aside, like, um, so I woke up, like, at 4.30 in the morning just to get everything in, like, an hour. And, and what really helped is, like, um, sorry. It's okay. But when you open up the Bible, like, usually it's just, just words to you. And um, for me, like, um, it really got me into a habit of opening up with actual prayer first. And for me, it was really like a, um, had to really, like, self-reflect first and really change myself first and my heart first. And just to understand that, um, that I am 
who God created me to be. And um, so that changed the whole thing. And, of course, I didn't realize it right from the get-go. I mean, it took really just commitment and patience and effort on my part. Um, so, like, you know, you always start off with, um, I, I normally, so when I woke up 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, I just sit there. I'm like, okay, well, let's start off. I mean, there was a paper that, that you guys gave us, like a little guideline as to how to pray and what to pray for and verses and stuff like that. So I'll just, like, go through, like, 20 or 25 verses that were on there and just meditate on each of them. And then the certain verses that came up, which first few were, like, um, more inflective, like, you start searching for your soul and your heart and to really um, pursue God on your own as an individual. So you pray for your own first. And then once your heart is ready, then you start praying for the community and for people around you. And so, like, the prayer really works from the inside out. And that was really, really useful, and I'm still using that right now. And um, so, like, yeah, so I just, like, really put myself out there um, joining another small group. I think it was Austin's small group that I joined. That's a separate small group that I went to committed that for 40 days and for fasting it's kind of funny that you mentioned media and stuff like that um for me with the whole self-image issue like um i was constantly uh, finding and following people who had supposedly the perfect body type and i knew that was toxic for me at that point so i just stopped looking and i just stopped just um got rid of everything so i fasted from that and um which definitely helped throughout the 40 days. And so it's just like a lot of things and just a lot of commitment. And you as a person and a believer who really wants something and to really know and um, just truly understand the grace of God, I think you really have to just go for it. And um, that's what I did. And so like the 40 days, I'm just like, okay, well, this is great. That's good. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a happier woman, happier wife, and definitely a lot less yelling to the kids and so <laughs> awesome thank but you guys that's basically it <laughs> that, that, thank you guys so much and uh you know i know for some the reason i asked them to come up i've heard i've heard you both share this story in some different settings and and just on your own voluntarily and i wanted you to hear this because when we do something like this the easiest thing in the world to do is to walk out of here and check out and not actually do anything that we say um, and, and as a preacher, I've just come to expect that, you know, a lot of times <laughs> you just sort of expect people to go about their own business. But I just want you to hear that these practices are nothing we came up with. These are centuries old. These are things the disciples were doing right after Jesus left and they work. And for 2000 years, people have grown in their faith. It's transformed lives and it's changed the world. And so what do you have to lose by trying? Really, what do you have to lose by taking some time to say, I'm going to take this seriously in 2018 and growing in my faith. I'm going to, fo- I'm going to actively wait on the Lord in 2018, uh, and we want to help you do that. So stop by the table, get some information on the journey to discipleship. Just one thing I'd like to share. Like, yes. Um, just like one of the verses that we had to put, commit to like memory and stuff like that. And right now I have it in front of me so that I don't mess up, but it's like one of the stuff that we memorize is from Psalms 139, 23, 24. And it's something that I constantly like repeated to myself when I needed that reminder. So it's search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and leave me in the way everlasting. And so that really helped me a lot just to if you don't know where you're at, even where you're even supposed to start or where you're ending up, whatever, just ask him, you know, ask him to reveal it to you. And that really helped me a lot. So awesome. thank yeah. you guys so much. Uh, Fahim, before you go back, would you just pray for the congregation yeah. and those who are maybe thinking about taking this challenge and just pray for all of us that we have a life-changing experience through this, experience, through this uh, journey to discipleship? Absolutely. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're here today, Lord, in front of you. Um, 
with all of our, our wants and our desires and our, our weaknesses and our shortcomings, Lord, we ask that you uh, search our hearts, Lord, and make, uh, make us have the desire to make room for you in our lives, Lord. Help us to, uh, we have all these things that we want to do and, and these desires, and we realize that we really just have to make room to allow, allow you to do your good work, Lord. And so we ask that you make that space in our hearts and that you just open us up um, make us vulnerable and make us just help us to just be patient and to listen um, to what it is that you're telling us, Lord. We ask that you just place your blessings on everyone in this congregation, and we're thankful for this amazing church where we are truly challenged to grow in Christ, Lord, and to learn what, what uh, Jesus had to teach all of us, Lord. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.